0: So we're continuing in our reflection from the book of 1 Corinthians. So today we are reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the first 15 chapters. The words are on your screen behind me as well. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters in anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be refilled with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be safe, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is God's word.
1: All right, well, good morning. Let me lift this up. There's lots of extensions on the microphone. Is that here? Hopefully that works. So, all right. Well, let me put this here. Hello. Is that good? Okay. All right. Well, certainly good to be with you all this morning. Uh, to be able to bring God's word uh, to continue on in this book of First uh, Corinthians. And just as a reminder, uh, Paul is writing. Uh, he's writing from Ephesus, but he's writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was this very uh, metropolitan city. It had, it had people gathered from uh, all around. Uh, it had two different ports within it, so it was kind of the center for trade. And there was, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of people from all over who were very wealthy. So you had people who were rich and poor, people from different backgrounds and cultures who had, had come together. And so Paul was in Corinth. And uh, there, many people came to know Christ, and there had been a church there that he spent time there. Paul and Apollos, another uh, leader there in the church in Corinth, and so they were there. Uh, and now Paul is writing about five years later. He's writing back because he's hearing reports, he's re- hearing dispatches uh, from the church there in Corinth uh, of just a hot mess. I think would be the best term if you want to explain it. And in two words, that the church in corinth was was frankly just a hot hot mess um, and want to look at two things this morning related to this because're we going as uh, Eric just read, look at uh, both division that 's happening in the church that there 's a lot of division among leaders among people there, um, but then there 's also uh, unity, uh, so the root of of division and the fruit of unity of, of what brings about uh, true unity here. But as we said here, this hot mess of the church, you just, you can feel the weight uh, almost. As you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you can almost feel the weight of, uh, you know, that you, you know, we've had a lot of some hot days, you know, and there's just this, when you're warm and testy and humid outside and just create, makes you irritable and, and things like that. Um, and the old dad joke, you know, is, wow, it's hot, but at least it's humid. You know, you just feel that. You, you feel some of that tension uh, in the air in the church in Corinth. And there's, there's so many issues, and, and it's quite a mess. And the church in Corinth is made up of people. And, it, you know, people who make up the church in Corinth are a mess. And Paul is right in, into that messiness to, to seek to provide clarity, counsel, uh, rebuke, and restoring, not restoring, restoring is the work of God, but restoring is that, that sense of continually reminding uh, the people there and ourselves of the goodness and grace of God, of the work of Christ for us, in spite of us. And um, he's continually reminding them of, of what this all means, of what Christ has done for us that we can't do for ourselves. And so he's once again saying that. So I think there's a lot to learn from these words. Um, and for those of us who who claim Christ, who, who claim to be followers of Jesus. You know, one of those the first prerequisites of, of following Christ is just an honest acknowledgement that we are a mess, that, that we are all a mess, that, that no one comes to Christ um, in an authentic, true way without acknowledging that that we are a mess, that we are lost in sin, that we have no hope apart from him, that that we need to be saved, that that we need to be rescued, that there's something badly broken uh, within us. And so there's, there's this hope for us that, that even in the midst of this mess of a church uh, amongst messy people, we too, sitting here in a church in, in 2022, can, can really hear God's words uh, as we know that we are messy and that there is, there is trial and challenge and sin and struggle everywhere we go. But we want to look again at the grace of God in Christ, and so first I want to look at the root of division here. Um, so the root of division, and what Paul's going to say is that the root of division is living as though Jesus has not called him to himself, called us to himself. Living as though Jesus has not called us to himself. That living, uh, he used the term living in the flesh. And uh, sometimes people say, well, you have the flesh and the body, and then you have the spirit. And what we really need to tap into is the spiritual realm and not the flesh and the body. But, but that's not what Paul's saying here. He's, he's saying that uh, they are living as though Jesus had not called them. They're living as though Jesus had not saved them. They're living as though they, that the work of Christ has done nothing in their life or for them. And he uses that term, though, verse 1 and 2, chapter 3, Paul's explaining when he first came to Corinth, when he was sharing the gospel with them, that he was teaching them the very basics of what it means to be united to Christ, um, to know God and to live for them. He says uh, here in verses 1 and 2, he says he he, he fed them with milk as infants, that that as he was sharing the gospel, as he was teaching them about Jesus, that that when uh, they first encountered Jesus, he was... Sherry, he, he was um, giving them milk as an infant, as any baby would do, and it's, this is not to say there's anything wrong that, with that. When we first come to know Christ, when we first come to know him, there's so much that we don't know, and there's so much that um, we're unaware of, and so he's saying, I, I fed them with milk, but, but the issue is here, there's, the issue is that here, we're, we're sitting five years later, and I'm still feeding you with milk, that you are people not ready for solid food. And one thing Paul does here, too, is he addresses them first as brothers and sisters. He does that back in chapter 1, and Mark had um, highlighted that uh, before. But but the aim of Paul here is not to say, look at me and look at what I've done and look at how I'm living and how you're not. The aim of Paul here is to say, in love, how you are living— what I'm hearing come, come from Corinth is not, is incongruent with the faith that you claim. It's incongruent with knowing Christ. It's incongruent with being able to walk in the spirit that God has given, the spirit of the risen Jesus. And so um, he's saying that the very thing that they should most remember, the one thing that should change everything, is something that they are most prone to forget. See, the very thing that they should most remember, the work of Christ for them, has become something that they're prone to forget, that they're living as though they don't remember it, that it has no impact, it has no influence. And see, this creates what it's been creating since the fall. So the fall of humankind back to the garden in Genesis 3, that sin had a point in time when it entered this world with Adam and Eve fell, and we, we inherited that likeness when, when sin distorted a beautiful people and a beautiful creation, and we became beautiful but badly broken by sin. And this is carried all throughout, all throughout the scripture uh, of just the fallenness that we, we see in our own hearts and our own minds and the state that we are apart from Christ. And so Paul is saying they're acting as though they were, they're just inheriting whatever they had, had down since Adam, the way that we are born into, and they're not in reflecting that change that God brings us in Christ in Jesus. As uh, a particular issue here, as uh, is Mark has his trademark pending and patent pending phrase, uh, leader veneration and leader de-veneration, uh, the book deal I'm sure is here to come, Mark, but um, what was happening here and in the, the most direct context here is that there were people in the church in the particular division that Paul's addressing right here in chapter three. Is that uh, this idea of, of leaders, uh, of people elevating certain leaders and de elevating other leaders? If you think of going up an escalator, there's a long one at CVG Airport. If you've ever been there, it's like five minutes that you're on this escalator. But if you think about it, you know, the, the more that people go up the escalator, the smaller and smaller the people going down the escalator are. And and when you prop yourself up or you prop certain leaders up or when we, we just want to follow this particular person, what that does is it, it automatically makes that, those other people smaller and smaller. It, they become JV and varsity within the church that you've got the varsity team over here, and you've got the JV team over here. And so we begin to look at other people and others who don't maybe think the same way or act the same way or don't have the same charisma as other leaders, and, and we can easily attach ourselves to that. And it was creating all this division here. He says jealousy, quarrel, quarreling. I, I've been trying to say that for a while. I still can't, but uh, it can also be translated strife. Here, uh, And so he's saying that this, this is the outflow within their hearts, this, this jealousy, this strife, the people there in Corinth, um, they were all about the oratory, the elegance of speech. Uh, if before there was Netflix, uh, before there was Amazon Prime, Hulu, Peacock, uh, I don't know what all the other ones are, Disney+, Plus, before all the streaming platforms... Uh, and you couldn't watch you know, TV and great drama and everything, what, what people would do is they would gather and they would hear these very gifted and dynamic speakers. Uh, they would long for and sit on every word of the people that would come and, and, and give. So that was ingrained within the culture in Corinth. And so here you have people who have, have come to know Christ, are sitting in the church, and what they long most for is that compelling, dynamic speech and those leaders that are just going to, you know, draw them and, and, and where they can hang on every edge of their words and, and identify with them. And what Paul is saying is that you are living this way, but this is, you're living as though you're in the flesh, that um, they're looking for their worth and their glory uh, in other things more than in the grace of God in Christ more than the work of Christ for them. And how easy it can be, you know, to seek to do the work of Christianity more in a cultural sense, but without Christ. That it's incredibly easy for us to use the language of Christianity for leaders, for for people in the church, for us to just go through the rhythms that we can attend church, that we can attach ourselves to leaders, that we can learn the language, that we can do all these things and do them more just as a cultural repetition, but not out of a transformed life and heart, where it ends up to be to, to center around ourselves, or a sense of worth or a sense of purpose that we want, more than it centers around, do I have? a life-giving, dynamic relationship with God? If I encountered Jesus, am I encountering Christ? Is repentance and faith a regular part of my life? Uh, during my teenage years, uh, I attended a Christian summer camp. And uh, this camp, it was a sports camp, and there were a lot of um, college athletes and other people who'd come and be counselors at the camp. And they had a lot of awards that they would give out after camp. Uh, but the most prestigious award uh, that everyone in the camp wanted to get was this award called the I'm Third Award. Uh, the I'm Third Award. So the I'm Third Award was the acronym JOY, uh, if you've ever heard that, Jesus Others Yourself. So Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Very good things, you know, of, of, of seeking to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself, yourself third or yourself last there. But this I'm third award uh, in that culture, and with people, be, it, it almost became a competition. If I if I look back at it, because uh, I just I really am. I was thinking about this the other day of just like how wrong, and maybe it's just my own heart uh, that that some of those things became that we would do these things and. and um, all to try and win this award to be viewed as the most humble and I'm third award you know, type person because they would get up, get to come up, the camp founder, you know, would, and everyone was sitting there applauding their humility. And, but, but we would long for this, you know, we, were, we, I would want it. So it'd be, it'd kind of be this constant one-up competition, like, you know let me hold the door for you, well, you know, of course, you can hold the door for you. I like to use my personal fan. I know it 's kind of humid. You can do that and say, well why i 'm using your personal fan? you know why don 't I go ahead and do your clean up the table for you you know and say well i 'm glad you 're doing that because I use my toothbrush to to clean this your sink so that bathroom check and it just became this Outdoing one another, but it wasn't out of love necessarily. It, it was rooted in this longing to be viewed this certain way. It was rooted in this longing to win this award to show how humble we are. And but if we think if we do think about that, it, it really is kind of a a fleshly thing that that on the outside we could be viewed as so humble and and so uh, longing after God and so servant-hearted, but. But in the inside, what, what's the aim of that? Was it to be transformed by the work of Christ for us? Was it to be considered a servant? Or was it so that, so that everyone else could view how dynamic and, and humble that, that, that we were? So this is kind of what he's saying here, that th- there's all this division here in the church. And, and the fruit or the root of this division, the root of it, is that they're living as though Christ has not done, Christ's work is not finished for them on the cross. They're, they're living as though they either have to earn their way to God through, through the way that others view them, that, that they would find approval and acceptance from what other people say or what other people do, instead of finding that in the message and the work of Christ for them. And so it can, completely distracts them from the purposes of God And it turns it in on themselves, and it breeds comparison, competition, cruelty to others. It distracts us from the mission of God and the purpose of God. Uh, Russell Moore, he's a theologian, and now he's uh, editor at Christianity Today. Um, There's a recent trend. If uh, a lot of people are studying now, just of people leaving the church, uh, especially young people, uh, many, particularly the church in America and and particularly parts of the American church where uh, there's terms like deconstruction and and things like that, where where those that have grown up in the church or those that have been a part of the church or young people have just decided, you know, I don't believe this. Or or even that same sense of like, I just don't want to call myself a Christian anymore. And um, a lot of the pushback to that has been, well, the gospel's offensive by nature. Well, you know, they just, they are abandoning the faith. They're they're doing this. And one thing Russell Moore wrote about this particular moment, uh, which I think is applicable here. He said, if I were speaking every week to people who are leaving because they reject the Trinity or the incarnation or the bodily resurrection or sexual morality or whatever, I would agree with you. But if people are walking away, not because we believe too much for them, but because they don't think we believe what we say we believe, what then? How can the witness of the church be rebuilt? And what he's saying is, all the conversations that he's having, yeah, sure, there's people that say, I just deny the resurrection. I just don't believe in Jesus. But more often than not, a lot of times in this particular moment, especially, he's saying that people are walking away not because of disagreement with that, but because they don't think we believe what we say we believe. And, and when we think about that, we think about what's going on in the church, it, it, it calls us that back to this. If we are not captured by the grace of God in Christ, and instead we are captured by the culture or the forms of Christianity, the fruit of that division is this lack of mission. It's a lack of authenticity, a lack of willing to admit that we are a mess and that we need God's grace. And that may be that people would, would see those in the church and us as the people of God and those who follow Christ more and more that, we, we believe what we say we believe. We seek to live it out. Now, we will never justify ourselves by the work that we do. That is the, the, the work of God for us. But the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of knowing and encountering Christ, is the work of Christ in us. That, that, God, that, that Jesus is at work in our hearts uh, to make us more and more like him. And so next we see here the, the fruit of unity. So he's going to go on. Uh, and the fruit of unity is the purposes of God lived out among the people of God. The purposes of God lived out among the people of God. Paul writes in verse 5, he says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants who, through, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each, to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. See, Paul is refining for them who leaders are, and particularly who leaders are in the kingdom of God. And he's doing nothing but pointing them back to the way that Jesus led. And he's saying, What? Who am I? Who is Apollos? Apollos was someone uh, described in Acts as quite elegant, uh, a man very competent, uh, his elegance. But he's saying, And Paul, on the other hand, was saying, I'm not that great a speaker, pretty much. Uh, I came and gave you Christ, but I'm not, I'm not going to keep you awake all the time. Uh, but, but Apollos was dynamic. But he said, Who is Paul and who is Apollos? They're servants. We're servants. That's, that's all that we are, defined by grace, that, that everything that we're doing is, is what God is doing through us. And so people, a people who are defined by grace and continually encountering Christ through repentance and faith, through seeking out to root out pride, comparison, self-loathing, contempt for others, Christians are to view our investment in others as service towards God. It's, it's God-assigned. And so when we look and we think about what has God called us to, what has God called me to, that view of seeking to invest my life into uh, others in the church, into neighbors, to many who don't know him, and to see our neighborhoods and, this city and the city and, and ultimately the nations, more and more people come to worship Jesus uh, through life of service and sacrifice, um, that is the fruit of Unity. The purposes of God lived out among the people of God. It's this call to self forgetfulness that I'm not thinking too highly about myself. Some of the leaders are. But then you have the other side of just that self loathing where we just feel like we've got nothing to offer, where we don't get it, where where we're too, where we just think of ourselves so much where we can become consumed that I've got nothing to give. And so it just. It just keeps us um, internal. It keeps us just stagnant instead of entering into the purposes of God, entering into the mission of God uh, with, with the gifts that God gives us through his spirit. And so this unity here isn't just something contrived just because we believe the, th- uh, believe the same thing. It's a unity that was bought and purchased in the work of Christ for us. Notice how, how he talks about Paul and Apostle, they're, they're each doing different things. One is planting, one is watering, but they are completely united because the ultimate aim, the ultimate goal, the cornerstone, the foundation, as he later says, is the work of Christ for us. The work of Christ for us. And, my, and their longing is, is that through the way that they live their lives, they might see the work of Christ in them uh, they might see the fruit of the good news of grace take hold of their lives. And that's the language there, that, that unity is not contrived. So the fruit of unity is this call to the mission of God. He says that we are co-workers in God's service. You're God's field, God's building. Um, and this applies, you know, particularly to Paul and Apollos and leaders in the church as he's talking through this, this text. But I think there's also this universal application here uh, towards all of us. And it's, it's just the perspective that they had, that, that everything that they did, uh, that the way in which they lived was all God, was all in service to God. God who gives the growth, God who sustains, God who lives. There's a um, pastor that had, had talked about um, when he had, he'd met some people in the the congregation who were considering coming to this church and uh, he wore a robe during the service and he he talked about, he always wore a robe and they're like, why are you wearing a robe during the service? You know, it's kind of dated uh, uh, to wear this robe. And he said, because ultimately I'm a talking head and at the end of the day, I want people to know Christ. I want people to know him and everything else and forget about me. Is I want to lead people to the cross and forget about creating my own following, creating my own eloquence, wanting people to view me a certain way. Because if my foundation is on the work of Christ for me, I, I have justification. I am fully accepted. I am fully loved. I am a mess, but Jesus loves me. And it's just an illustration there. So um, I don't know if any of you have had surgery. I've had a a number of surgeries throughout my years, but uh, when you go in, they put the IV in your arm. Hopefully, it's one prick, Uh, but if you have bad veins or get the wrong person, it can be five or six, and... The IV needles are not the most thin of, of the needles out there. But uh, if you go into surgery, they, they you know, put the, the needle in your arm, and then you've got the anesthesia that comes, and they take you back in the room, and you start to feel really woozy. Then you see all these lights come on, and sometimes they're, like, moving you around, but you're not really sure what they're doing. Uh, and then someone comes and says, you know, count back to count down from 20. At least that's what, and I just start counting, and then all I can remember is, like, 19. And then, then, then you wake up. But you're in surgery. Your life is completely dependent on these people. You're, I mean, you are asleep, and they are opening your body up uh, and working on it. And then you wake up. And, but, but after that, we're not going back and, and talking, you know, when we talk with a doctor or talk with a surgeon or something, you're not saying, oh, can I, can I go see that breathing machine that you used? Uh, that, that was helping sustain me. Can I just go look at it? I just want to thank it. Uh, you know, I just want to give praise where it's due with, it, with that thing that was keeping me alive. You know, you're not saying, can I see those instruments that were, you were using uh, to help, uh, you know, stitch me up and everything? Because what what you are saying is that there are instruments used, but those instruments used are towards the purposes of God, and it's the skill of the surgeon, it's the skill of the anesthesiologist there that is making everything go, that is making those things use, And God is giving us, he, we get to be part in his mission. But what Paul is saying here is, I'm just a servant. I'm an instrument. I'm completely replaceable. You don't need me. What you need is Christ. And when we approach our world, when we approach those who don't know Jesus, when we approach our neighbors and our co-workers in that way, It changes our whole attitude towards them. We're in humility and love and service. Uh, We want to make much of Jesus, and we want to seek to model him there. And Paul says that this is all of grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each of you should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Um, you know, there's not a single command in these verses until we get to verse 10. There's not a command at all. He's, he's talking about, he's redefining, he's restoring them of what, what, how we're meant to view life, the, the, the root of division, uh, the fruit of unity is, is those caught up into the mission of God. Um, but, but then here, he says, each one of you should build with care, that we should build with care. And I think it's, it's just a check on us of saying, essentially, is the foundation that we are building, is the life that we are investing in, is, is our activity within the church, is within our neighbors, uh, with our friends and coworkers, is that end in, in on us? Or is that foundation in Jesus and the grace of God in Christ? Um, J.R. Vassar is a pastor and author. He wrote a short book called Glory Hunger a number of years ago. Um, but he has this, this idea that uh, we all innately long for glory, that, that it is wired within us, that, that God, uh, within our hearts, that we are wired uh, for glory, to, to want to glorify something, to want to worship something, to want to be justified or approved, all of those things. And he writes this, God put it in in your heart, this need to be justified. And until you're able to stand before him justified with the verdict of fully loved, fully accepted, you will never be truly free from the courtroom of human opinion. Until the opinion of the one who matters most actually matters most to you, you will never be free from your unrelenting glory hunger. You say that again. With the verdict of fully loved, fully accepted, you will never be you will never truly be free from the courtroom of human opinion until the opinion of the one who matters most actually matters most to you. You will never be free from your unrelenting glory hunger. And this is that take care of how we're building, of, of what we're building. Is it my own comfortable, secure kingdom? Or am I investing my life into the purposes of God? Am I seeking to do the deep work of repenting of my sins, of putting my faith in the work of Christ for me? And that is a continual process. Seeking to be empowered by the Spirit, be a faithful presence in my home, my neighborhood, at work, among those who believe very different things from me, is loving mercy, doing justice, and walking humbly with God, a deep desire in my heart. These are the questions we're meant to continually ask ourselves, and, and He's calling them back. He's restoring them, restoring them back to this. At, at the heart of it, if my if the foundation of everything that I'm doing is not Christ and Him crucified, Him risen from the dead for me, I'm missing the whole point. At the final day, verse uh, 15, the day of judgment, our work will be tested with fire. Uh, verse 15 is, is one of those verses in the Bible you can read and read all about and read other people's, what people said about, and still be like, what does it mean? Uh, <laughs> and I think if anyone says, it for sure means this, uh, they may be not as authentic on, on that. But verse 15, there are some things that are clear, but, but there is just some mystery on, on how this all works out. But what Paul is saying is that these are very real Christians in the church in Corinth. And he's not saying there's two types of Christian, the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. That's been taught a lot in different places. He's not saying that. He's saying it is inconceivable to be a Christian and to live as though, uh, th- to live as though the world is, you know, that makes no difference in your life. Those two things are, are completely incongruent. But he's saying at the day of judgment, what will stand, what we know is clear from the text, is the things that we attempt to do for God that have their end in ourselves will be burned up. And the things in which we attempt to do God, do for God that are Christ's work within us, they will last. So the things we attempt to do for God that have their end in ourselves will be burned up as hay wood and straw is, and the things that which we attempt to do for God that are that are Christ's work in us, they will last. It's gold, silver, precious stones. It's a reference back to the temple in Solomon uh, with, the, with what the temple was built. So the great commission of Jesus, Matthew 28, uh, before he ascends to heaven after he's risen from the dead, uh, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing, teaching them to obey all I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he says something else. Do you remember what that is? He says, And behold, or lo, I'm with you always, even the ends of the earth. And the book ends between the mission of God, of what we are called to do. God calls us into his story is, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm the risen Christ that all of history is being restored and redeemed. Everything that was lost at the fall is being restored. And I'm building my kingdom. And he says, the work we're to do to go and to make disciples among all nations and all peoples, that is rooted in the fact that Jesus is Lord, that his work was for us. But then he says, lo, I'm with you always, even the end of the age. And that's just an acknowledgement that he is sending his spirit, that God empowers us, that we don't have to work it up on our own doing, that his spirit is present, and Paul uses this language again and again in the Galatians. He talks about walking in the Spirit. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That, that the work of God in us is more and more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self, uh, self-control, faithfulness. All of these things are meant uh, to be the way in which God is at work in us. So the root of division is rooted in The flesh. And it, it, it distracts us from the mission of God. And the fruit of unity is, is the people of God living for the purposes of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you how you remind us again and again of that call back uh, to Jesus, you being the foundation of our lives, of our, of our faith, uh, of our work, uh, of what we do as we gather. And uh, we pray that um, we'd continually remember that, that you would stir in us a desire to see ourselves more and more as servants and acknowledge that God is you who causes the growth, that you who is mighty to save. And would you make us as a people, as a church, ones that long to see our neighborhoods and the nations uh, transformed by your grace, empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.